Welcome to Palmdale United Methodist Church's podcast for Sunday, May 1st, 2022. May God use this as a blessing to you today. Let us pray. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, Jody and I will be celebrating our 32nd wedding anniversary this August, and so in honor of that, I'd like to share once again the story of how we started dating. Many of you know that we were high school sweethearts, but we didn't start dating immediately. Uh, I arrived on the big island of Hawaii just before the start of my sophomore year, and Jody and I were uh, just friends for two and a half years after that, and then things started to change around my 18th birthday party in November of 1985. Some uh, friends of mine and I got together to another friend's house to celebrate my birthday, and at one point in the conversation, we were sitting around talking about the most beautiful people in our high school, right? Uh, Girls sharing guys that they liked and thought were cute, and guys offering the names of girls we thought were attractive. And it was my friend Chris that once that said, "Um, I think Jody McCollum is beautiful. And this little index card in my brain popped up, and the card Jody McCollum uh, came out, and, and I started thinking of her in a way I had never thought of her before. Now, we had some classes together at Waikia High School on the big island of, uh, uh, of Hawaii in Hilo. She was friendly and smart, a hard worker, always cheerful. She was a strong Christian, and although I never really thought of her as dating material, once Chris mentioned her in the most beautiful people context... I started to see it. So, fast forward about six weeks. It's now January 1986. All seniors had to buy their prom tickets by the 20th of January for a prom that was in April. April. Talk about pressure. I wasn't dating anyone, and I'm trying to figure out which of the girls I know will still be friends with me in four months, let alone still want to go to a dance with me. Uh, So I did what every guy probably does at that, around that time, who doesn't have a girlfriend, I made a list, the top 10 list of girls I would like to take to the prom. Probably um, uh, many of them were on most of the guys, senior guys list, probably some of the juniors and a few sophomore lists as well of who they like uh, to take out. Uh, I also put down some friends of mine, girls that I thought were, were attractive and fun to be around. So on the afternoon of January 15th, 1986, I drove over to Jody McCollum's house to ask her out. Now, if you talk to Jody, she might tell you that she was the ninth girl on my top 10 list, which totally gives off the wrong impression. Now, to be fair, I may have mentioned at one point in our relationship that there were eight other girls ahead of her on the list. But the the point is, she was the first one that I asked, right? So that kind of elevates her, right, to the top of the list. That's what I thought, exactly, yeah. It's ancient history, water under the bridge, so to speak. What's truly important is that she said yes, and here was our prom picture. Now, as long as we're being completely honest with each other, um, what Jody actually said when I asked her out was, well, I was hoping this other guy was going to ask me out, but we're running out of time, and I like you, so sure, yeah, we'll go out. Hey, I wasn't in love with her at that time. I just needed a date, so I'm fine. That's great. Okay, awesome. That's excellent. You could tell it was true love at the start, right? 
The next day in AP Calculus class, I leaned over and said to her, so now that we're going to the prom together, you, uh, you want to go out sometime? And she's like, sure, that'll be fun. Uh, and so we started the wonderful process of getting to know one another. And by Valentine's Day, one month later, we were officially boyfriend and girlfriend. That was uh, the first time we held hands in public at school, so everyone knew, and it was also the date of our first kiss. Well, welcome to a somewhat new sermon series entitled Love, Sex, and Relationships, and each week during May, we're going to look at a variety of topics that affect men, women, and our relationships. Now, if you're currently married, I hope this will be of help to you and your spouse. Um, if there's the possibility that you might be getting married sometime in the near future, then this will give you food for thought as you prepare for these significant, important relationships. For everyone else, whether you're single or no longer married, for whatever reason that may be, you are in a position of influence with people around you. Whether it's your children's relationships, your grandchildren's relationships, or just uh, relationships of friends of yours. So my prayer is that this series will help you be able to give wise and helpful advice for whoever it is that God has placed in your life. This series has a special place in my heart, so much so that I like preaching it about every three or four years. Because relationships are vitally important, and maintaining quality, significant relationships is a challenging endeavor. You may remember that I preached this series back in 2018, but to be honest, we're all in a different place right now. And I'm not just talking about because of the pandemic, right? E either in regards to our own relationship status or just where we are as people and what God has been doing in our lives over the past four years. So I believe it's good to hear this again. I invite you to open your Bibles or take out the, your smartphones and open up the church app and click on Bible so you can join us in reading the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis in chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. And by the way, if you're here in the sanctuary, we've recently put Bibles and hymnals back in. So you can grab one of those and read along if you'd like as well. Did you know that there are actually two different creation stories in the book of Genesis. Chapter 1 is an orderly, systematic account of God speaking everything into creation, and everything that God creates, the storyteller says that God said it was good. And in this account, humankind was created at the end of day 6, the very last uh, creation that God made before God rested on day 7. Now, the second creation story begins at the second half of verse 4 in Genesis chapter 2. And this tells the story of the Garden of Eden. Genesis 2, beginning in verse 4, the second half. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet on the earth and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no one to till the ground. But a stream would rise from the earth and water the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So in the second creation story, God's very first act is to create man, or Adam, Adam, from the earth. 
Genesis goes on to tell us about the garden that God planted in Eden, complete with trees and rivers and lots of freedom, only a few restrictions. But there's a problem in paradise. In the midst of this perfect, idyllic uh, environment, there is something missing, and Adam recognizes that because he feels lonely. Verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. God's like, I can do partners. Here we go. So God created animals and birds and all sorts of critters. And to be honest, they were great for a while, but they weren't exactly the kind of partner that the man was looking for. So God moved on to plan B. And God changed his construction materials from dust of the earth to ribs. Verse 22. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Therefore, a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. It's interesting that the Hebrew word for helper doesn't mean that a weaker person is brought in to serve the stronger one, not at all. It's this idea in the Hebrew that two people bring their mutual strengths to a relationship in order to bless one another. So we humans were created to be partners with, another, with others and to share our strengths to bless each other. Now, men and women are not exactly cut from the same cloth, so to speak. We were created differently by God, and that's a good thing, right? And it goes far beyond the difference between dust and ribs, uh, so to speak. There are inherent differences in the genders, something we'll talk about a little bit later. Now, the coming together of two people was designed by God to fulfill a purpose. There's a basic human need of companionship and help that all of us have. And it's not to say that only married people are, are fulfilled people. But whether we're single or married, we all need healthy, significant relationships to accompany us in this life in which God has given, including close friendships of the opposite gender. United Methodist Pastor Adam Hamilton, in his study, Making Love Last a Lifetime, remarks that the mission of marriage is for men and women to be companions and helpers to each other. It's a sacred calling from God to care for, to serve, to bless, and to sacrifice for one another. Now, I wonder how might your marriage change if you thought of it uh, in terms of ministry, of being a ministry, not just a relationship, but a ministry from which God has called us to serve. Choosing to marry someone is choosing to answer this calling towards the person that we're marrying, but it may not always feel like it, right? We weren't called to be madly in love every moment of our lives, and for anyone who's ever been married at least six months or more, you can testify that you don't always feel madly in love with your spouse. We'll get to more of that next week. It's not about a feeling. It's about answering that sacred calling by God. And so the Holy Spirit, God's presence with us, can help us rise above our own self-centeredness, which we all have as human beings, and focus on reaching out in love and service to our spouse in ministry. How do we do that? Well, we'll go into more details next week. But for now, let's turn our attentions to another book of the Bible, this time in the New Testament, the book of Colossians chapter 3, Verses 12 to 15. Now, the Apostle Paul is writing to all Christians, but it takes on new light when you read it in light of what we just read in Genesis chapter 2. So as you listen to these words, think of them as instructions for human beings 
men and women, whether it was the first couple on this planet or for us and our significant committed relationships. Colossians chapter 3, verses 2 to 15. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed were called in the one body. Oh yeah, and be thankful. God longs for us to love our partners the way that God loves us. When we answer the sacred call of marriage, we're agreeing to put another person and their needs ahead of our own. And as Christians, we believe that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, gives us the ability to do this. Because on our own, if we had to rely on our strengths and abilities to always love the person that God has given us, well, we may not always be able to do that on our own. What if each day we asked our partner these three questions? How can I be a better friend to you? How can I be a better helper to you? And how can I have more of a servant's heart and mission toward our relationship? By the way, those are in the church notes, so you can get those later if you want to come back and remember those. So that's the biblical foundation uh, for relationships within the commitment of marriage, but it doesn't really provide insights on how we get to know each other better. That's what I want to move to now. Physiologically, science, scientists have discovered, get ready women, I'm sorry, this is the facts. The average male brain is 100 grams heavier than the average female brain. Yeah? Guys have bigger brains. However, fairness in reporting requires me to mention that MRI scans have indicated that women's brains have actually 15% more blood flow and activity than men's brains, which means women have a lot more going on, more activity than we men do, which is probably not that uh, much of an earth-shattering revelation, right, to most of us. Women's brains also have different connecting links and can send more information to and from different sections of their brains. It's been said that a man's brain is wired like two or three supercomputers that operate independently and can do very deep and complex thinking. Women, on the other hand, have a brain that's more like 10 thousand desktop computers all networked together, which enables women to process information much more quickly and multitask. Women also use more memory and emotive language portions of their brain than men do. So if we combine uh, this information, we discover we men, we kind of have single track minds, right? Don't confuse us. Don't give us too many things to do. We have to focus on the task at hand. We can't remember things very well. We're not built to multitask like the women are. Uh, it's just the way it is. Shantae and Jeff Feldhahn are best-selling authors, popular speakers, and internationally renowned social researchers. And I had the pleasure of hearing Shanti speak a couple of times at a conference in Hawaii. She's absolutely fabulous. I, I recommend everything that they write. Um, and if you signed up for the uh, HIM online conference uh, this past um, um, uh, April, they were leading one of the workshops as well. Well, today's talk borrows extensively from two of their earlier books, uh, For Men Only, A Straightforward Guide to the Inner Lives of Women, 
and to, for women only, what you need to know about the inner lives of men. Well, the Feldhans, in their research, used a nationally representative survey, scores of focus groups and other research, and they found key insights into better understanding what's going on within men and women's brains. And since men uh, cannot multitask very well, I'm going to start with information for us guys first. So here's a quick summary of the Feldhans research about women. First and foremost, women need to feel loved. They discovered that buried inside of most women, even those in great relationships, is a latent insecurity about whether their partner really loves them and whether their relationship is okay. So listen to that again, men. Women frequently wonder if they're loved by us and if whether our relationships with them are okay, even in the very best of relationships. They want to know that if, if we had to do it all again, would we marry them again? Women especially need to be reassured that they're loved in the midst of conflict within our relationships. And I can't state this too strongly. In fact, it may be the most important thing that some of us hear today, that if you are in a relationship with a woman, let her know how much she is loved by you, especially when things are getting a little difficult. Second, women are emotional. Now, before you call me Captain Obvious, hear me out. This all goes back to how women's brains are wired, right? Women deal with multiple thoughts and emotions from their past and present all at the same time and all the time, right? And they can't easily be dismissed. To use a different uh, computer analogy, the Feldens say the thought lives of women are almost like a busy computer with multi multiple windows that are open up on the screen, all uh, doing different tasks at the same time. And then these... Um, Uninvited pop-ups just pop up on the screen at various times throughout the day, right? And if you ask guys at different times, uh, hey, what are you thinking about? Many times the guys will be like, uh, nothing. And we're not lying. There's just like nothing going on at that moment. But if you ask a woman the same question, if she's honest, she'll probably never say there is nothing going on in her mind. And so, guys, sometimes the best things that we can do is to help women close those pop-ups. And, and it doesn't mean saying, oh, just don't think about it, because that is not possible for women. Third, women in general desire emotional security and closeness far greater than financial security. Right? So this means feeling emotionally connected and close, knowing that uh, her significant other will always be there for her, and that a desire to be best friends is vital in that relationship. Now, remember one of the three questions that uh, I gave us a little bit earlier that couples can ask each other? One of is, how can I be a better friend to you? Well, prioritizing time together is a wonderful way of fostering this emotional security between spouses. Guys will often work extra jobs and hours to be able to provide for their families, but sometimes spouses simply want more of our time not more money in the checkbook. Next, listening is the solution. When women share an emotional problem, what they're feeling about the problem is actually more important to them than the actual problem itself. And we guys like to come up with all sorts of ways to fix problems. That's what we like to do, to take care of it. But sometimes, that's not what she's asking for when she tells us her problems. Instead of trying to fix the problems, we men need to focus on the feelings 
behind the problems. And that actually will go a long way into helping solve the problem. So guys, this means not telling our significant others that she's overacting or overreacting, maybe uh, questioning her version of the facts. That's something I have to work on all the time. I, well, technically, Jody, what actually happened was, and then it's like, that's not the point. That's not the point. The point is how I'm feeling. Uh, or wondering aloud if it's that time of the month never, never, never helps, guys. Next. Physically, women tend to crave sex less often than men do, but it's usually not related to their spouse's desirability. Now, we're going to spend an entire sermon on sexual intimacy in a few weeks, but suffice it to say that women in general are physically wired to crave sex less than men do. But that doesn't mean they don't enjoy it just as much. And second, when a woman uh, avoids their partner's advances, it usually has nothing to do with their feelings to the partner or the partner's desirability. There may be other physiological and emotional reasons, the need for closeness in a relationship outside of physical intimacy, a need for anticipation time, buildup, whatever. Finally, women want to be attractive to their partners. The authors write, Inside your smart, secure wife lives a little girl who deeply needs to know that you find her beautiful and that you only have eyes for her. In this body-obsessed culture, women are not being protected emotionally. In fact, they're often being humiliated by what they hear and see all throughout the media and the world. So we need to tell, uh, not only tell our wives they're beautiful, but we as partners need to reflect it in our visual choices, meaning being aware of who and what it is that we are looking at. Women already feel in direct competition with every other beautiful woman, real or imagined, so it's very important that we as partners are aware of this issue. Okay, so now it's time for the women to learn a little bit more about the men. And to start with, men need respect. We would rather feel unloved than inadequate and disrespected. Unfortunately, anger is often our response to feeling disrespected, which is rarely helpful. But a man's heart is powerfully touched by the words, I am so proud of you. Second, men are also insecure. And despite our wanting to be in control on our exterior, uh, we often feel like imposters, and we are insecure that our inadequacies will be discovered, whether it's at the workplace or at home, whether it's as an employee or as a husband or a father. Believe it or not, in the Feldhans research, from the people that took their survey, only 25% of the men said that they actually felt regularly appreciated by their families. Only one in four men said they feel regularly appreciated by their families. So we men need to be affirmed early and often. Third, men are providers. We feel powerful when we provide and we want to be dependent upon. Even if our spouses make enough income to support the family's lifestyle, we're still wired to desire to want to provide. Providing is one of the primary ways that we say, I love you, to our families. And we love having opportunities to do that. Fourth, and this is no surprise, men want more physical intimacy than women. Again, we'll talk about this more in a few weeks, but research shows that a woman's sexual desire for a husband profoundly affects his sense of well-being and confidence in all areas of life. We men want to be wanted, and sometimes saying no to intimacy is translated to us as a personal rejection, 
And most of the time, if not all the time, that's never the intention of our partners. Next, men are visual. Even happily married men are instinctively pulled toward current and recollected images of what we find attractive. Shanti says that if every man has a mental, that says that every, it's as if every man has a mental Rolodex of sensual Im- images, and like the women pop-ups that come with all kinds of thoughts, these images sometimes just pop up without warning. So the challenge for us men, then, is whether we choose to dwell on those images or to try to quickly dismiss them. Rest assured, this is a guy thing. It has nothing to do with our spouses, nor does it impact the feelings we have for the women in our lives. Lust is a powerful pull, and we all need the prayers that our partners can give us to help us overcome this. Sixth, we men are not the most romantic creatures on the planet. I think Shanti's exact words are, we are unromantic clods. Now, to be honest, Most men want and enjoy romance. We just sometimes find different things romantic than our partners do, or we're conflicted over our poor romantic skills, or we just don't know what to do. I don't think I need to go much further. This is pretty much understood by everyone, I would imagine. And then finally, men care about the physical appearance of our partners. And Shanti uh, starts the last chapter of her book by asking women to pray before they read any further asking God to shepherd what they're about to read or hear. She writes to women, The effort you put into your appearance is extremely high on his priority list, yet the chances that you know his true feelings are extremely low. She calls this last insight life-changing, and for her, it was jarring her out of dangerous complacency. Now, recognizing how complicated and hypersensitive this issue is for both men and women, she said that in a way, this issue for men is like the romance issue for women. Men are more often uh, than not willing to work together when it comes to fitness, nutritious, eating, overall health. So, it's a lot to cover in just one setting, and I'd like to finish by just reminding uh, of, of a few key points from today. Men and women were created to be companions and helpers for each other, that marriage is a divine calling by God, that we respond to this calling by serving, giving, and sacrificing for one another, even when we don't feel like it. And through it all, the Holy Spirit should be allowed to work in and through our marriage, helping us, especially when we don't have the strength on our own, to fulfill God's mission in our relationship. So I look forward to journeying with you together in the weeks to come as we examine more issues that profoundly affect us in the areas of love, sex, and relationships. And we'll see if anybody comes back next week. (laughs) And all God's people said, amen.